Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Bill Hamlet, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings, and with me today is Master Chief Retired Paul Kingsbury from the Naval Institute Press and our, our membership and outreach team. Paul, happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. We got uh, a couple of special guests on the line today. Uh, we're going to jump right to our guests because we've got three joining us. So from Great Lakes uh, Naval Training Center, uh, we've got Master Chief Dave Twyford, the Command Master Chief up at uh, NTC Great Lakes, and we've got Master Chief Steve Drum, Special Operator, Navy SEAL. Uh, and uh, Steve Drum is um, one of the co-authors of an article we had in the July issue of Proceedings. It starts on page 46 and 47. It's called Warrior Toughness, Making the Mind, Body, and Soul Connection. And then we've also got on the line... IS-1, or, or Petty Officer First Class uh, Intelligence Specialist, John Minor. He is the winner of the Enlisted Prize Essay Contest this year. His article is in the August issue of Proceedings. starts on page 13, and it's called Every Sailor a Damage Controlman. So these are two hard-hitting articles about what the Navy's doing to uh, at Great Lakes to make sailors into uh, hard warriors and ready for what might face them in the fleet, uh, particularly in the current era of, uh, of peer competition. And then uh, we've got uh, Petty Officer Miner's piece on every sailor needs to be a damage controlman, sort of a takeoff on the Marine Corps, every Marine a rifleman, right? Absolutely. And I think this conversation goes, uh, you know, it's a continuation on from a time when I was Fleet Master Chief and Fleet Forces, and we really started, uh, there was a recognition, not just uh you know, within the CPOMS and the Navy at large, but with the Chief of Naval Operations, uh, fleet commanders at the time, this reposturing the Navy for the high-end fight, right? So, as uh, you know, at the time as a fleet mass chief, you know, uh, you start looking at things a little differently, and you look at things as like recruit training command. Hey, that's a uh, you know they probably provided quote unquote product to the fleet, you know, and uh, I got very interested in what was going on there. Were they producing, uh, you know, what we needed, the skill sets, the attributes, and the mindset? Um, and when you go back now, I did some quick poll, right? I track all the the uh, essays written by enlisted writers. So since 2016, you can see this narrative that's continued on with many of our, I mean, many cases, younger sailors. So um, way back in 2016, we had then Forrest John Port writing, readiness and warfighting must drive the Navy. You had a fireman, David Horton, come out, you know, restore the warrior mentality, Mass Chief Greg Rennick, why is the Navy concerned about toughness? Uh, and then there's you know several authors that are writing about this topic. And now we've got, uh, I, I think we've made some significant changes up there. So I thought it was important to bring uh, Steve on with Dave and we could talk there and then translate that to the fleet. Yeah, I think this is great. And before we uh, go to our guests, I just want to make a point that uh, over the last four years now, the Naval Institute has brought back essay contests, and we have made a concerted effort to reach out to more enlisted authors. Uh, and, and you've been a big part of that. You wrote, one, when you're on act active duty, you wrote a number of proceedings articles. You've also helped reach out into the fleet uh, to you know, lure in uh, some of the young minds who are thinking and, and let them know that Proceedings is not just an a magazine for uh, for officers. It's a magazine for all hands, uh, for anyone that's got a great idea about how to make the Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard better. So, uh, yes. yeah, this is this is great. So let's go first to um, Master Chief Twyford out at uh, Great Lakes. And uh, Master Chief, if you could just tell us a little bit about your background, how long you've been at Great Lakes, and, and what you're seeing in the evolution of training out there at RTC. 
Uh, absolutely. So I've been on board here uh, since May of 2018 as the Command Master Chief. Um, uh, I'm a former cryptologist, uh, but I had done a tour here previously as a recruit division commander. So being able to come back, at, you know, and see boot camp today versus when I was a, you know, not only when I was a recruit, but when I was an RDC, it, it's definitely an evolution. Uh, over the last, I'd say, 24 months, uh, we've We've gotten away from losing our mind about, you know, folding T-shirts and underwear, which don't get me wrong, we still do that. We're still we're using that folding T-shirts and underwear and marching because it teaches uh, good order and discipline, and it does teach the ability to, you know, have attention to detail. But that's not why I'm not going to send you to the fleet. If you can't fold your underwear, we'll figure it out. But if you've got a good heart and good character and, and quite frankly, uh, you know, a give a damn attitude. Um, we need those kind of people in the fleet, and so we're we're looking more at: can you fight a fire? Can you do damage control? When the missiles start flying, will you run to to danger? You know, will you engage? Um, we're focused on more weapons handling. Um, we're focused on even line handling, which you know, we've heard the argument in the past. Well, not every sailor is going to be a line handler. No, but they're all going to leave Great Lakes knowing how to when they have to get the ship underway in an emergency. And so we're looking at all those type of things and, and putting more emphasis on them to include uh, how we assess them. Uh, previously, we would teach some of this stuff, and they would get a little bit of them battle stations, but now we assess it. You can't even go to battle stations unless you pass a team assessment on getting a ship underway, um, firing the weapon, weapons uh, turnover, uh, damage control, firefighting. We're looking at all that type of stuff. Um, but with all that, it kind of brings to, to Steve's, uh, you know, pre-piece here, the warrior toughness. It's, hey, I can teach you how to fight a fire. I can teach you how to damage control. But if you don't have the mind, body, and spirit to, to engage, um, it could be, you know, useless, useless knowledge. And Steve's warrior toughness program that he helped develop here uh, for us is really where we're going to tackle it. Hey, so with uh, that uh, that segue point, uh, so in the article it says the answer sounds like the beginning of a joke. A chaplain, a psychologist, and a SEAL walk into a bar, only instead of a bar it was the Navy's boot camp. So Steve, uh, were you that SEAL, and uh, can you tell us how you got brought into this and what work you've been doing with the uh, chaplain and the psychologist? I am that SEAL. After our comprehensive review of the curriculum and training here at Recruit Training Command, we started to develop a program in 2017. Initially, it was for the recruits. Then we realized after a quality of life survey that our RDCs were under an exorbitant amount of stress and they needed the training too. So I got asked to come on board to kind of represent, you know, what the warrior looks like. And so, again, literally, almost me, a chaplain, and a psychologist locked in a room said, hey, we need to figure this out. And where do we start with making sailors tough? Well, it makes sense to start right there on the vine with the recruits. So I brought in certain things from our community. You know, one of the things, some of the things that we do to execute well on the battlefield is we, we clarify our objective. We have purpose in what we do, and we're prepared to persevere. We know in advance that things are going to be challenging. So we have that mindset going in. When it comes to preparation, you know, we train. We're very brilliant on the basics. We, you know, don't have these wild, crazy ninja tactics. Instead, it's more like, hey, we're able to look at a situation, come up with a basic solution, but execute it faster than our enemies on the battlefield. 
when it comes to that execution, when it comes to that preparation piece, we're also making sure that, you know, we have these tasks that we perform. You know, we can, you know, weapons handling, tactics, whatever it is, you know, we know those cold, but we have to be able to do it in the clutch. So at that point, we start to raise our mental training. You know, we do use things such as performance psychology and mindfulness, and those are some of the things that we've brought here in our training here at boot camp. When it comes to execution, you know, we're very focused on what we need to do, but we also maintain that situational awareness. We see the big picture. We don't jump in with both feet until we can assess the whole situation and let that drive our decision-making. We're also prepared for things to go off script, so contingency planning ready for obstacles and ready to go around them and win. And then lastly, when we reflect, you know, it's kind of our AAR process, but at the personal level where we assess, analyze, reflect. We take the value of our experiences and we try to free it up from negative emotional, you know, baggage. When somebody gives us feedback and, it, and we don't want to hear it, we make sure that we're extracting the value and using it to prepare for what's next. If we, we know we screwed it up, we try not to be too mired in negativity we try to say, hey, okay, what's the value? And, and conversely, when you know, we execute well, we have to make sure that we don't just get complacent and say, hey, that's good enough because you know, tomorrow, today's tactics, today's execution may not get it done tomorrow. So we make sure we're just as deliberate in the uh, assessment and analysis of the things we execute well as we are the things that we don't execute so well. So that's kind of the mindset, the warrior mindset that we brought in. And that provides a framework in which we start onboarding things such as character to, to let these young sailors know, hey, what I do is important, um, but I am going to have to be prepared for a fight. That's what we're talking about. So that's why we, the warrior toughness piece comes in is, is you, have to, you have to think like a warrior and you have to train like a warrior because you may have to step up. Even if it's not missiles on a ship, could be a fire, could be flooding, we're going to have to step up and execute the damage control situation, pull our uh, injured shipmates to safety. So character development, performance psychology, mindfulness, and warrior mindset. That's in a nutshell what our program is and kind of my responsibility for delivering that. Uh, so it absolutely makes sense to bring a SEAL in. That lends credibility to that concept, right? Because uh, I don't think you think there's any more of a warrior mindset than when you look at the SEAL community. And this is a great example of learning across communities and how the Navy can do that, take practices and approaches from one warfare community and apply to others as well. So I think it's also important to learn it. That's just kind of how we started this program. The intent is, is every respective community that we go to Everybody has their example of what that warrior is going to be. So when we start to, to push this out to the A schools, to the fleet, it's not a SEAL. It's not you know, necessarily an um, FMF corpsman. It's whatever the warrior is where people can look up and say, hey, that guy or gal, that's who I want to, that's who I want to be. That's who I want to model my behavior after. And so that's, that's the warrior in your community. So that's kind of the spirit. It's not just a SEAL. It's it's whoever the best your community is and how that's, that's the guy or gal you want to get after. Absolutely. Uh, I, think, uh, I just say something um, on Steve's point about pushing it out to the fleet. Um, we provide sailors here uh, a skill set. But with, like all skill sets, if they're not practiced after boot camp and, and in the A school and in your first duty station, they're just going to wither on the vine and die out. So this warrior toughness piece is a skill set. It's not something that they're going to memorize um, it needs to be developed throughout. And so right now we're partnering with uh, the nuclear pipeline and the nuke school down in Charleston, and they're helping develop what warrior toughness will look like at the A schools, so that we can give each A school 
hey, here's some things for warrior toughness. These are the non-negotiables. These are the things that have to say the same so that we're talking the same language. But here's how you would develop it for your A school. You know, some A schools are three weeks, some are two years. Uh, and then we're also partnering with subgroup 10, and they're kind of helping us figure out what would an operational unit look like to develop a warrior toughness program. What's key to all this is that we're using the same vocabulary, um, the same exercises, the same um, approach. Um, our biggest fear is we do this warrior toughness thing here, and then you go to some ship you know, two years from now, and it looks totally different. It sounds totally different. It's not really the same concept. It, it, for us, it would be the equivalent of learning damage control at boot camp, getting to your ship and saying, that's not how we do it out here. Uh, it should be the same throughout their, their time in the Navy. Uh, and we're really working hard to, to create that foundation here at boot camp. And uh, I would say in a you know, few years, you'll, you'll see it rolled out to the, the fleet concentration areas uh, for ongoing training. Let, let me jump for a second out to uh, to John Miner, who's at Office Air Force Base, who's the, the winner of the uh, Enlisted Prize Essay Contest, because uh, both of your articles touch on the same sort of topic, right? This idea of toughness, about damage control, about the ability to to fight through something hard and get back in the fight, right? To bring your ship back up to speed, to uh, to fight through whether it's a fire, whether it's uh, you know damage from an inflicted from an adversary. But uh, John starts off his article by saying, the U.S. Navy is not prepared for major conflict at sea, a belief based on my observation as a repair locker scene leader on board USS Macon Island. So, John, talk a little bit about, you know, this what they're starting to do out at RTC should be infusing itself with the new recruits as they get out to A schools and, and out to the ships and, and units in the, in the fleet. Is that starting to... Get it, get its way out into the fleet. What did you see on Macon Island, and what was, uh, wh- how did you try to motivate your repair locker? So, good morning, and thank you for having me on. Uh, so, to answer the your latter question first about how I tried to motivate my sailors uh, as a repair locker scene leader, as an intel specialist, I would talk what I could unclassified uh, about the context you know, add in the value of where we're going, what we're doing, why it matters in the, the greater scheme of things. These little pep talks I would do before our drills really helped hone in my sailors on this so what factor because it's very easy uh, to backslide into viewing damage control and other uh, seagoing skills as just being a tedious training requirement. I think that's the verbatim from my uh, paper. That's kind of how the ATG trains us. And while it shouldn't be that way, it's what it's become in the fleet. And I'm really hoping that when I return to sea here in about a year, that I can begin to see the changes that the two Master Chiefs have been talking about so far on the podcast. Because I believe that this mentality that they're inculcating now at the very beginning of RTC is really going to have, it's going to pay dividends. Everything that we invest now towards the mental toughness and the ability of our sailors to respond and not freeze up, to not break down crying on the mess decks because your ship happens to be within the range of a coast that's shooting missiles at U.S. ships. This is what we signed up for. I can't afford to be losing sailors to mental attrition whenever I need to run four different host teams in order to combat a fire while I'm also trying to deflood a space and desmoke it. It's I, I already don't have enough people to be able to handle all that. 
Okay, so you you know identified this what I would call a gap in the fleet, and what you saw with uh, it's not just the the mindset and the you know the the basic skills that were learned, because um, we do go through you know a lot of that training uh, out in the fleet. Um, I liked your discussion because I was thinking about myself towards the end of uh, my active duty time. Of are we introducing creative scenarios within? our training organizations at the command level, um, our damage control training teams in a position where they can flex the crew crew to a, you know, a realistic scenario. Are we just training to meet administrative requirements for certification? You touch on that. So I'd like to uh, hear your thoughts on that. In my opinion, a lot of our drills are pretty scripted. You know, a fam room is going to go flood. You know exactly what gear you need to have. You know, there's instances where we just have the exact gear that we need already pre-staged within the repair locker it's ready to go we're just going to go hit all the checks in the box down the row to demonstrate it for the dset the damage control training team or the atg afloat training group inspectors what i would love to see is a concept where combat systems and damage control synchronize with ops and cic to determine creative scenarios where, okay, if we get hit by a missile of this size on this side of the ship, what systems are now impacted? Well, how, how many personnel? What's the damage control locker that is responsible? What can we expect to impact as far as combat systems and weapon systems? So I believe that we need to be developing these kinds of scenarios, not just for people to be more creative and innovative in how they view damage control on their ship, but to get to a level of expertise on the ship itself that we can concurrently restore combat systems and weapon systems to damage control. Because in a high-end high near-peer combat, we're not going to have the luxury of time to address the damage control and then focus on the weapon systems or the combat systems. We need truly to be able to address both with equal amount of gravitas concurrently. Hey, Dave, you're uh, obviously surface warfare background. Uh, what what are you thinking about this, and what did you see while uh, you were out there in the fleet? Well, I mean, it kind of goes to what we're working on a little bit here. Um, you know, trying to get your sailors all their damage control calls pre-deployment uh, is an administrative and just a leadership nightmare. I call it the uh, Hampton Boulevard shuffle, where you're you're sending sailors down every day to get the level one firefighting training. And it just, it takes a lot of work to do that. And, you know, if they're a few minutes late, they get kicked back to the ship and you're kind of figuring out when you're going to reschedule them. What we're trying to do here is we're, we're looking in the next um, three to four years to break ground on a new level one firefighter and trainer. Our, our current trainer is about 40 years old and it gets basic hose handling um, and, you know, nozzleman work here. But, you know, when you're trying to put 88 recruits through, uh, in a certain amount of period, there's not a whole lot of hose time that each one's going to get. So we're looking to build a trainer here where we would send every sailor to the fleet level one firefighting training out of boot camp. We really want to increase what it means to be a basically trained sailor. We want to notch that up. And not so we get rid of these trainers that are in Norfolk or San Diego or Mayport. We want to make those trainers more available for more advanced training like IS-1's talking about, where we can get deeper into scenarios and we can do a little bit more. So I don't have to eat that time up with the level one stuff. That's done in boot camp. They get to the fleet, they're going to get more advanced stuff. Um, but he's, he's absolutely right on the, uh, on the training piece. Um, 
I'll tell you this, and I've said this for years about all the training teams. The training teams are our best sailors on the ship, but ATG comes aboard and evaluates the training team evaluating somebody else. And so, you know, when the missiles start flying, it's the guy on the training team who's actually going to be sitting in the seat or, or, or manning the locker. And who's evaluated them doing that? I mean, they've been evaluated as a training team. So I, I do worry about that long-term, you know, how are we preparing those guys? We assume they're the best because of the most senior or they've got the, the, the highest number of PQS signed off. But um, I want to see those guys in action. So both of your articles uh, talk about uh, the damage control efforts on board Fitzgerald and McCain. So two tragedies uh, and, and, and both the Every Sailor Damage Controlman and Warrior Toughness both touch on, hey, 2017 was a really hard year for the Navy. You know, we lost 17 sailors. Um, if there was any bright spot at all, it was the fact that you had two DDGs take on major damage and the damage control efforts, you know, saved those ships, right? And and there was some really heroic efforts by the sailors on both those ships. How are you at, at Great Lakes? How are you extracting lessons from Fitz and McCain? Uh, and how is that impacting your damage control training and just the, the, the warrior mindset that you're in, imbuing in young sailors out there? Well, I'll let Steve touch on the warrior mindset piece, but, and I can talk to the damage control piece. So, Steve? Yeah, I mean, when we teach warrior toughness, we always take examples. Part of what we teach, you know, especially for the character development piece, is we teach character development through sea stories. You know, we train our RDCs actually how to formulate and give a good sea story but while doing so as well as with the recruits they're getting these examples they're getting the photos of you know these you know the ship collisions the um all the fire examples of when sailors did the right thing when sailors had to make tough choices with shunning compartments where there might be shipmates on the other side you know we we use that to say hey this is this is what it's like and so we try to do our very best to inject realistic sea stories, not always just the most heroic stuff, but but also the examples of, you know, we have sailors that were actually on these vessels. And so they're able to come in and say, hey, this is, I was there, this is what happened, and here's what you need to do to be ready. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's the key. I think a lot of people don't realize, I mean, we are manned with the fleet. Now, these, these sailors come back, and um, shortly after I, was, I got on board as a CMC and started talking to a few of my, my chiefs, and I realized some of these guys were on Fitz and McCain. Um, they share those stories, uh, and it's easy, you know, to kind of, as we're sharing those stories about what happened there, to talk about, you know, a lot of negative. Um, but they use it in a real positive sense of, here's the great things people did, and here's how you're going to do the same thing. Uh, the sea stories here are powerful. Sometimes, you know, people take advantage of that and think that we're, you know, we're just trying to spin yarns to impress recruits, but... Um, if you use a sea story powerfully, you know, the right way, it's powerful to a, to a young person because these young people are trying to be us. You know, they, they came here looking for something better, and they came here to be us. And so we absolutely encourage sea stories. We just want to make sure that that sea story has a punch that drives home the point we needed to drive home. Uh, we talk very bluntly here about going to war, war fighting, uh, and I think that's something we've we got to continue to do in the fleet. And I think it goes to IS-1's thing, you know, some people in the repair locker who act like, you know, they got punished there, sent there. Um, no, you're, you're there because we believe in your ability to fight the ship because we don't know when, but it's, it's coming. There's, you're you're going to be tested and you just don't know what's going to happen. 
So what's been the response of recruit graduates? Uh, I know when I was up there, one of them, my metrics way back three, four years ago was I would ask them, you know, what'd you think about RTC? Was it tough? Did you, uh, what did you get out of it? And, you know, 90%, if not more, and this is while they're in their last few weeks of boot camp or had graduated and I saw them in the airport, you know, most of them were like, uh, no, nah, it wasn't tough enough. We expected to be tougher. Um, we thought we'd get something different. There was a demand signal for more. So uh, what do you what are you hearing from them now? Well, I'll tell you, some of that, when you asked them the last week, I think it's just them being cocky because they, they know they've come to the end of it. Um, about four weeks in, you ask them how tough it is, and they, they, they'll probably give you a different answer. Um, but for us, it's, it's really been, for the warrior toughness piece and the toughness of, of what we've done to boot camp, it's, it's not so much in what they say, because um, they only know what what they've been through, they don't know the background or the people that went before them. We look at just our assessments and, and how well people are doing at battle stations, and we look at we look at those metrics. We look at PFA scores. Since we've implemented warrior toughness, PFA scores have gotten better. Um, jumping off the pool deck. I mean, you'd be surprised how many young people join the Navy and terrified of water. And so we use warrior toughness to help them. You know make that decision to jump off the, the diving board and, and get in the water and, and finish your swim. And since we've been putting a warrior toughness, we've seen uh, an increase in the, the, qual- the qualification rate on the first time they go through the pool, which equals more training time for other things. I don't have to keep sending them back to the pool. And so we've seen that throughout our time here. Um, the biggest thing I think they've really appreciated is um, more weapons handling, um, a, a huge chunk Probably 80% of our recruits that come through here um, have never routinely handled a weapon. It's just not handling a nine millimeters is not a, a standard high school thing. And so, um, but 96% of them leave here qualified to shoot the weapon. That, that's a big deal for us. Um, so, we're seeing the, the, imp, the impact of that of warrior toughness. We're seeing the impact of some of the changes we made. Um, we are always looking for feedback from the fleet to say, you know, is, is what we're doing working for you in the fleet? And like I said earlier, we're, we're looking to change the level of what basic trained sailor means. And the, the fleet is our customer. And so we, we desperately want that feedback. Right? We need more of this. We need more of that. And that tells us, you know, the demand signal tells us what to go ask for. Hey, uh, I think, I'm going to ask CMC Twyford brings up a good point in regards to kind of what they, they call in psychology is that self-report. Like, I feel like I'm tougher. I feel like, you know, it, it wasn't hard enough. It's, you know, bring up the good point that you have to look at the metrics. So for when we look at this stuff, it's all about the research with the study and control groups. And when we look at the assessments, the test scores, the, the PFA scores, the uh, on-time graduation rates, things like that, that is what speaks to whether or not the program is effective. And so we'll need to continue that when we look at exporting product, warrior toughness products. When we look at doing everything, it's not a matter of asking people what they think as much as it is having those tangible um, study results, research um, figures to point at. Question for you guys. A couple of weeks ago, we had Vice Admiral Carter, the superintendent of the Naval Academy, on the program. And one of the questions we asked him at the end was, you know, is the Naval Academy softer today than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago? Has it gone soft? And uh, he said categorically no. He's, and he said he often tells uh, uh, his classmates, class of 81, that 
nine out of 10 of them would not get into the Naval Academy, would not survive it these days. Academically, it's harder. Uh, they've, they've added some um, rigorous physical uh, training to the program. Uh, it sounds like some of the same types of things that you guys are doing up at RTC. In, uh, it's interesting when we, we post articles online from uh, young people, a lot of the, uh, you know, we get young ensigns, midshipmen, petty officers, etc., you know, writing stuff for proceedings. And the online comments often tend to be from older people who are saying, ah, snowflake, ah, you know, you guys need your stress cards and your mindfulness yeah, training. Yeah, their, their boot camp was the last hard boot camp. Exactly. It's just like, you know, here at the Naval Academy, you know, my class was the last class that had a real plebe year, et cetera, right? So what would you tell our listeners who are of that older demographic who went through boot camp in the 70s, 80s? 90s, uh, you know, why is it harder today? What What are you doing to make it, you know, so that uh, the, the program is harder or it's better or both, right? We don't we don't use the term here, though, harder or better. Um, it's the boot camp we need for, for this Navy at this time in the world. But I will tell you, one of the challenges of running a recruit training command is um, – that damn movie with Arlie Ermey, um, Full Metal Jacket, man. Everybody thinks that that's the, the, you know, what a drill instructor and what boot camp looks like. That's the gold and, standard, huh? Yeah, it's a, it's a caricature, you know. Hell, if you did that stuff today, you'd get fired. Um, it's just not how you do business. Um, culture's changed. Uh, the dynamic has changed. Um, but I think a lot of people went to their, you know, whether it's the Naval Academy or boot camp or whatever, and just got treated like crap and people were just mean and so getting bashed and getting screamed at to them equal well that was tough um but that that's i mean don't get me wrong we tell our drill instructors and our instructors up here you can be a tough son of a bitch but you're not here to be a prison guard you're here to be a coach you're here to coach winning teams there are a group of young people who came to you for a better life and are prepared to serve and go into harm's way now, your job is to coach them to be the best they can at that. Um, but yeah, just just because you got screamed at and told you had you know three minutes to eat chow, that doesn't make you tough. That just makes you hungry. We just we reevaluated that stuff, and it's not all about screaming and yelling. Don't get me wrong; we still have to do that every now and then, and we still do you know push-ups and sit-ups and you know, ITE when when necessary. What people used to call smashing, that still happens up here. But at the, at the end of the day. You know, you're you're not here to punish these people for coming to be you. You're here to get them to your level. So yeah, I, I don't like. Yeah. I hate saying that. You know, we've gotten tougher or, or softer. I mean, we we have the boot camp we need for this Navy today, and we're always looking to to say, is that good enough? Is that where we need to be? And I'm not criticizing how boot camp was in the 50s or 60s or 70s. I'm just saying that's what they needed then. This is what I need today, and tomorrow I'm going to look to see what I need tomorrow. You know, we hear. Hey, well, uh, you're you're doing recruit yoga up there. It's snowflake training because they hear maybe we're doing mindfulness techniques and we're doing breathing. It's like, hey, you know, we're after a performance increase. I was just back in the SEAL teams about a month ago, and yeah, they have yoga rooms, they have meditation rooms. Why? Because it works. How do we know it works? Because the top performing athletic organizations all use the same techniques that we're teaching our recruits, and we know it's works and it's proven to work. So it's all about a performance increase. You know, when it comes to yelling at recruits, yell at recruits, but you yell at the recruit because that's the tool that you've decided is the most appropriate one for that job. And the next, the next recruit right next to him may need more of a coaching because yelling's not the tool for that job at that moment. 
So it's about being more deliberate and being more mindful about the outcome that you want and giving the product that gives you, you know, the, the training technique that gives you that outcome. Yeah, the tools that you have available to you organizationally and the education we've gained as a Navy, you know, are so much more now than then. So, you know, you have that to use to your advantage too. But, you know, go back 30, 40 years ago, given those tools and those that knowledge and learning, I guarantee they would have incorporated back then too and used those things as well. Yeah, and a lot more recruits are coming in with – uh, with already with you know bachelor's degrees and some with master's degrees and uh, you know what ninety five percent or more of the force is uh, high school graduates and yep. you know so they're better educated coming in so their expectations of what the Navy is going to give them are higher than they were probably. 30, 40 years ago, right? Yep. And then socially and culturally, obviously, not just the Navy, but the country has changed as well as in what it's willing to tolerate, you know. So uh, I, I think a key, a key part of this, too, is so we talk about, you know, hey, got it, war mindset, damage control, ready for combat. But this stuff is important, too, for day-to-day toughness and resiliency, right? So the the just getting through your normal deployment cycle and the, the day-to-day stresses of not just being in the Navy, but having a family in a modern, you know, uh, in, in modern times. Um, I, th- I think there's value in that too. in you know, getting left of things that lead to destructive behaviors and suicide, uh, problem drinking and things like that. I will tell you the day before every recruit graduates boot camp, I go talk to the graduating divisions at their grad practice. I talk for about 45 minutes. Uh, we talk about what's a school going to look like. Hey, a school's not the 13th grade. Um, you're not there to party. It's not your freshman year of college. You're going to learn a warfighting skill. We talk about destructive behaviors. We have a very blunt conversation about sexual assault. We have a very blunt conversation about suicide-related behavior. Um, financial, you know, I tell them, <laughs> there's a car dealer outside of every Dayville station in the country waiting for you. Um, be careful. Go get smart with your money. You know, uh, I take a, you know, kind of an informal poll. Uh, and a lot of these young people come from, you know, lower middle class to, to just downright poor and they're looking for a better life here but you know do you know how much financial literacy their parents gave them not much right so they get this money some of these kids are making more money than their parents were when they joined the navy and um they don't know what to do with that money so that can lead you down a bad path so while we don't have you know i don't have days in boot camp to to, do a financial literacy class we introduce that topic and we we set them on a path to go get that that knowledge and all that's at your A school. It's at your it's your base. It's your first duty station, whether it's Fleet and Family Support Center or just walking up to your chief and saying, "Chief, I don't know how to buy a car." Now, we talk about that stuff. We want to make sure we're introducing that. We are very aware of the you know there's a goal now to to get the Navy up to a 355 ship end strength uh, by about 2030 or so. Uh, and that requires a lot more sailors, even as uh, the Navy is automated, even as, uh, you know, ships in general have fewer sailors than they used to have. In order to get to 355, the Navy's got to be bigger. How do you guys increase throughput at, at RTC while at the same time maintaining the quality that you need for the, as you said, the, the, the RTC that the Navy needs today? Right now, we are, we're, we're good to go for, you know, a, a mission of roughly 40000 a year. Um, we can we can bump that up. Our, we have the facilities. Our biggest challenge right now is just getting people to come be RDCs, um, recruit division commanders. Uh, whether it's they don't like the cold or they think the hours are too long, uh, it's definitely career enhancing. It's it is a master's degree in enlisted leadership. Um, but we need people to come up here. That that's really 
something that hampers us right now is, you know, uh, we would do, do our best to have three RDCs per 88 recruits. Um, but as CNRC sends them, we work hard with them to figure out, you know, how do we onboard them? How do we get them in here and get them trained and get them out? Um, so right now we're keeping up with the demand signal that, you know, recruiting sends us. Um, but you know, as that number increases, um, we need more people to, to take this tour. And I mean, my advancement rates are higher at all pay grades than anywhere in the fleet. Um, so you can't say it's not career enhancing. Um, and I think this place is worth two pay grades personally. You know, you, it's going to pay off long term. I just need more people. But yeah, facilities, we got facilities. And we're always looking at uh, different COAs. Um, we, we, we have conversations around here about what happens, you know, God forbid we go to World War III. What does boot camp look like? You know, do we do a four-week version? Do I export boot camp to the fleet concentration areas? We're having those type of conversations for the what if um, to make sure that we get sailors to the fleet as best qualified as possible to start getting into the fight as quickly as possible. Right now, eight weeks is about the right time, and our facilities can uphold that. Yeah, for our listeners, uh, if you are, are in contact with young people coming out of high school or college who are looking for a job, looking for something to do, looking for a career and a calling, just let that number sink in for a second. 40,000 recruits yeah. just in the Navy every year go through RTC. So 40,000 new hires. So this is an organization, the Navy, that hires 40,000 people uh, every year and and looking to increase that a little bit. So let that sink in, you know, get that message out to, to folks in uh, in your circle of influence, uh, you know, young people who are trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives, uh, you know, get a calling, join the Navy, um, but we're, you know, the Navy's hiring. So that's a really good point. Got it. Uh, just to change this up a little bit. So, uh, you know, last week uh, I was up at the Senior Enlisted Academy um, speaking to the class, doing the sponsor student program, and then uh, presenting the award for uh, MMC Richard McKenna Written Award for Excellence in Written Communications that the Naval Institute sponsors. Um, I had afterwards one of the uh, SEA students ask me, you know, who, uh, because they know I've written, you know, and, and kind of champion writing, you know, what's who's that mass chief coming behind you that's you – um, where do I see, you know, kind of, um, you know, that, that hunger to come behind and write. And I told him, I was like, it's not really the mass chief I'm looking for where I see it is at the E5, E6 level. So John, one thing for you, you know, and we've talked on the phone since then is, um, what's, what would you offer to, you know, your peers and junior sailors about your experience with writing and why they should use writing, um, based on this, uh, recent article you've had and, and being the enlisted prize essay winner, you're now part of that cadre of champions for enlisted writing. So over to you on what you would offer. For me, I think the the biggest part is, you know, here I am on this podcast listening to SOCM and CMC talk about, you know, one of the most important subjects as an enlisted person. And that's our mental readiness for combat. You know, this is a way, my paper was my way of expressing my voice, my concerns, my thoughts, and getting it out there to the fleet. It's about giving back to the fleet uh, the experience and the lessons learned that they need to be successful and whatever may come, whether it's peacetime or wartime. The only way that we can improve our Navy and improve our Department of Defense is the candid, thoughtful, well-written feedback of everybody, regardless of pay grade, from E3 to O10. We are an organization of people. 
And it's the input of those people that will continue to progress us forward to being more ready in every field of which that we are involved from combat to uh, family home life. You know, there's just so much different information that gets ingested by our sailors and civilians and officers. And we need to know how to improve. You know, the, uh, what's the saying? The squeaky, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. That's what we need. Well, that's an incredibly articulate response. Thank you so much for that. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. It has been a great conversation. So we've been talking with Master Chief Dave Twyford, Command Master Chief at Recruit Training Center, Master Chief Steve Drum, Special Operator, Navy SEAL up at, uh, at Recruit Training Center, and also with IS-1 John Minor from off at, uh, Air Force Base, Omaha, Nebraska, who is the winner of the Enlisted Prize Essay Contest for 2019. Gentlemen, it's been great having you on the podcast. Uh, we uh, look forward to hearing from you again in the future. Uh, keep writing for us. And until then, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. 